0: If you're going to build something from nothing, you've got to know what really works. I took a $1,000 loan and built a $5 billion business, and now I make smart investments in new businesses on Shark Tank. This is Barbara Corcoran, and you're listening to Business Unusual, presented by On Deck Business Loans. You might be happy or sad to hear that we have what people mistakenly call Mr. Wonderful here with us today. Mr. Wonderful, welcome.
1: Thank you, Barbara. And there's no mistake. I am truly <laughs> Mr. Wonderful because it's true. <laughs> All
0: right, I got a few questions that you haven't been asked before. I'm dying to hear. Number one, what were you like as a kid? Take me back to little five-year-old Kevin. Kevin. What were you like?
1: Well, I was very dyslexic. I had a lot of problems. Uh, math and reading skills, if you're dyslexic, I was failing school like crazy. My mother was very concerned. It was very stressful for her. And she was getting divorced at the same time, so a lot of stress. And um, she found a, a woman named Marjorie Gallick and Sam Rabinovich at that age, five to seven, that's how old I was, They were doing experimental work with dyslexic kids. They had a gaggle of them. They had like 20 of them. And they're trying some very experimental stuff in a special school, and for me, it worked. And so I have, I'm very thankful for her. But that those were very tough times because when you're falling behind in math and reading, as you can imagine,
0: the ego goes with it.
1: Yes. And what Rabinovich and Garlick said to the class of 20 is, "You're all here because you actually have superpowers, and we have to separate you from the general population because you're so powerful." It was really great. What a great. great position. It was a great idea. It really, and it really, you know, who else can read backwards, upside down in a mirror? only unless you had superpowers, which I can still do.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
1: and so that is— But you were
0: in that school, Kevin, from all the way through eighth grade?
1: No, what happens is you stay in school because that's the law, but then you spend four hours a day in the super class On so, top of your regular school On top of that, schedule. so you leave school at 3.30, and then you stay there till 7.30, but you, by the time you're in the program, you want to go there because it's a place you feel normal because everybody else has dyslexia. Ah. Everybody's walking around bouncing into the walls. But it works because we did trampolines and we did building block stuff. And and in the end, and I learned later in life, if you think about people like the man who developed JetBlue, he was dyslexic. Damon and John, that. we work with on Shark Tank dyslexic. There's lots of dyslexic people. It doesn't have to... Retard success. It just makes you do things differently.
0: You know, I did a survey of all the entrepreneurs that are most successful that I invested in on Shark Tank and asked them that simple question, were you a good student in school or did you struggle severely and two out of three were dyslexic in school? I happen to think it's a mark of a great dyslexic. If they could be an entrepreneur, if you have that dyslexic background, you got a good shot at winning.
1: It could be. It also could be that you figured out that you have to try even harder and that it gives you motivation later in life to do other things. I've always felt that an education is not a prerequisite for success in business. It's difficult to say that when you're teaching a class of people mm-hmm. in business mm-hmm. school. Yep. But I often you know, say to them, look, you don't know what's going to happen to you when you leave here. It's a nice warm environment to be in Harvard Business School. But wait till the real world gets a hold of you. It's going to chew you up like hamburger. And then you'll realize this is just the starting point.
0: But what do you think about somebody who comes out of a really good school with a sophisticated education, like Harvard or any of the good schools, what do you think is lacking? What doesn't apply to real world, specifically?
1: I think the major benefit, if we start from that side of the equation, is that the relationships you form there are for life, and these people are going to go and do certain things, and a third of the class is going to be very successful, and it's great to know them. They'll always know you. Mm -hmm. The downside is I find that the environment that they're in doesn't have anything that's street savvy to it it's a case study about you know growing your market share in China for a, a billion dollar company it's not how do I stay in business and make payroll on Thursday mm-hmm. which is what happens when you do a startup when you get out they don't teach enough about starting companies I feel they teach more about managing existing ones
0: and managing successful ones yeah and so
1: you know that's a criticism but I still teach at those schools because I think it's really invigorating but on the other hand I try and teach street smarts. But my whole point is if you look at success, and I don't care what generation you look at, it could be from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, more than half of the people didn't even have a high school education.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, if you don't if you don't go to and finish college, it doesn't mean you can't be very successful. At
0: I don't know if you know this statistic. I was reading it the other day. I was shocked. Two out of three businesses started in the United States up till today started by first generation immigrants. Yeah, without a college education,
1: because they have the fear in them about what and they it's also a, have the need, the need and the fear, and they have to put bread on the table for their family. They also have family. the work ethic. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I think that's what made America great in the first place—the big melting pot. But, but that's
0: nothing. Nothing has changed.
1: Nothing's changed, and so there's nothing more that affects a family almost like a disease than entitlement. If you tell your children they have no risk, they never launch. If they think that they never have to work, they won't. And that's why I've told my kids they get nothing. And they're just starting to figure that out now, and they're not that excited about it.
0: But how do you create value when you raise affluent children, as we both have, where they have that same hunger that we had as kids trying to prove something? How do you instill that hunger?
1: Well, I did it with a generational skipping trust that provides from first day of birth to last day of college, and then they get nothing, really.
0: Well, that sounds like a great plan longer term. But when you've given your kids every expensive vacation, every nice outfit... Well, that outfit. is a
1: problem, Barbara. There's no question about it. And and you want them to live the lifestyle you're enjoying because you're not going to go, you know, go back to where you started because you've worked too hard for it. I mean, that is a huge issue. But what happens is the kids eventually in their 20s leave home and then they go live in some rat hole when they're in college. And Sometimes. They st- and they, Well, my mine are. And, you know, they're having to work and pay their own rent and stuff. And they're whining about it.
0: But they still go on your luxury vacations with the family. Yeah,
1: but they don't always get those anymore because they have to work, you know. They only get two weeks off. They have real jobs now. They're out in the real world. And they're, they're realizing, wow, this is not easy. And I think it's great on them. And I, now they should be motivated to go and do better. But. Daddy can't help them. They're out of college now. It's so over. So you
0: don't think you spoiled your kids raising them because of your affluence?
1: I didn't, but my wife did. You can course, blame Of Somebody's
0: got to spoil a child Sure, and, and my
1: wife is still sneaking purses to my daughter. I see them on the credit <laughs> card bill all the time, and I'm against it.
0: Okay. Let me ask you this. Do you think the dyslexia has scarred you for life? Does it make you try harder? Does it make you prepare better? What has been its long-term effect? It
1: probably has some impact. I, I don't really know because it's hard to dissect your, your, your career. I mean, I think back on the things that really worked for me and the failures I've had. And some of the more successful deals were ones I didn't anticipate would work. And the ones I thought for sure would be great went to zero. And I think it's all part of the serendipitous nature of life. You know, I have a lot of different things I try at the same time. I'll never retire. I like working. And I have a lot of different things. And they don't always work. And I always wonder after the ones that work, I say, "What? what is it about that mm-hmm. one that made it different from the one I lost all that money in? Mm-hmm. And there is no answer. But
0: you're talking about not things you started yourself, but things you invest in.
1: Well, you know, there's some businesses where I'm a 51% or 50% owner. I consider myself to be an operator in those businesses because... Those are generally very big investments for me in the millions, and the reason they're big is I own 50% of them. I don't do things 100% on my own. I like having partners.
0: You know why that is, right? Why? Because you like the attention. You love, you thrive on people around you.
1: No, I just like to have, you know, augment my weaknesses with somebody who's better at something, and so...
0: You know, my biggest
1: business now, uh, currently of my portfolio, including all the Shark Tank deals, because you know what those are like. Mm -hmm. But my biggest deal right now is something called O'Shares. I've been
0: hearing you promote that like crazy. Well, it now has $830
1: million in it, which is a lot of money, Barbara. And um I started that from scratch 36 months ago so that's a it's on its way to a billion dollars of of assets I knew under- I
0: should have married you damn I miss that my one my
1: point my point is that is a fi- I own 50% of that I work hard on it every day I enjoy the work it's it's ETFs exchange traded funds it's like a mutual fund company except the new mutual funds are now ETFs and so that's what I do for at least 20% of my day every day cuz that's a lot of money and I want that one to be successful and then I've got all my Shark Tank companies and all the stuff I do in financial literacy and, you know, I'm no different than you are. You're a sharkette.
0: I'm going to move away from business because I've got good, quick questions for you. Ready? Okay. Your first kiss. Two lines or less. These are the things that people don't know about. I'm not talking about kissing me on Shark Tank. Your first kiss.
1: Anne Beckwith. I was in the on the island of Cyprus.
0: I'm looking her up. I'm going to ask her what kind of kiss yeah, no, you were.
1: Yeah, I was spectacular. She was... <laughs> But Ann Beckwith was her name. I was really hot for her. I don't think I was more than 11 years old. Maybe I was 10, maybe I was 9. I was can't she remember. taller
0: than you? Yeah. she you had was a taller and she on the was,
1: She was a bombshell blonde from Texas.
0: Did she like it?
1: You, you know. <laughs> she never I, came I, back. <laughs> I, you know something? I, I think I affected her for the rest of her life. I'm sure. Because no one could ever match that Oh, my case. God.
0: All right. The first thing you lied to your mother about.
1: Oh, what would that have been? Probably drinking a beer. I bet you that's what and it was.
0: And how old were you then?
1: Probably 10.
0: You didn't get caught? No. Did you get drunk? Yeah. Did you do drugs?
1: No. Did I never, you lie to your dad? No. I never did drugs. Drugs scared me because I had friends that ran into trouble with drugs. And you know, if you're not on drugs and you see someone that is, it's pretty weird. And they were hard drugs. They were taking uh, really crazy stuff. And it was in high school. And that that is actually what put the fear of drugs into me. I don't do any drugs. I take great wine. That's my drug. I make my own wine now. Very well, fine wine. Well, oh,
0: I've never heard of that one.
1: It's some of the best wine in America, Barbara. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and by and the by way, way it just
1: got listed today in the state of. Pennsylvania. Oh, what a status kind of thing. Thank you. And it's the number one wine selling on QVC. You can get it in both those places.
0: Okay. I'd I'd like to get a free case, but of course, I've been dropping hints about that. You never send me even a, a lousy bottle. Your first big personal mistake, not business. We all know about your business follies.
1: Probably lying to my girlfriend. It turns out in relationships, it's better to tell the truth, even though when you are telling it, it seems horrible, but you can get over that versus getting caught lying
0: What were you lying about?
1: Probably being with another woman. Of course, that's
0: what all men lie about.
1: Yeah, and it's actually, believe it or not, now that I've understood how this all works, it's better to tell the truth about that too.
0: Are you more like your mother or your father?
1: Definitely like my mother, I think.
0: I thought you told me at one point that you learned everything about business from your father.
1: You know, as I answer it, see my dad, my first dad was an Irish salesman, and I think I have some of those attributes, although he was only 37, I was seven when he died. So it's, it's hard to really see, you know, I didn't have as much time with him. But actually, well, the more I think about it, maybe I inherited some of that Irish salesman
0: stuff. Oh, absolutely, without a yeah. doubt. It's you don't so, look Irish, but you sure sound it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> So at the end of the day, it's a mix of both. My mother was very kind and very... Well, um, oh,
0: you didn't inherit that.
1: You no, know, she, she was very matriarchal in terms of how she you ran the family. You didn't inherit that. But, so maybe I got a lot of my father in me. Maybe that's true. No,
0: but what about your mother do you have in you?
1: Well, she was very stubborn in the sense that she made sure she got what she wanted and she was willing to work very hard to get it. Uh, she died a very wealthy woman, but she kept a secret account from both of her husbands.
0: But and how did she make her money? I didn't she, know she had
1: worked. What she did was, this is remarkable, and it actually took me, in a, in, you know, shares is actually it was a result of my mother. She, from the age of 18, would take 10% of any money she was given or made, because she was a working girl her whole life, and invested in two things, telco bonds, because she thought people would never cut their phone off. they turn their heat off before they cut off their phone. And she bought 21 large dividend-paying stocks on the stock market.
0: I don't believe that. And As a working a, girl?
1: A working girl. And after 50 years, that portfolio made her very wealthy. And I went back and did some research. She only bought stocks that pay dividends. Over 70% of the returns in the stock market come from dividends, not appreciating stock prices. And that
0: is your philosophy. That I is, know.
1: That's what I learned from looking at her portfolio. This isn't some academic research, this is a real woman who did this for 47 years and became very wealthy.
0: And it wasn't her livelihood, what was she doing as her livelihood?
1: Well, she worked for her father who owned a company called Kitty's Togs that made winter clothing for children at a time in North America where you could be competitive making clothing. And they had a pretty big business for kids' winter clothes. Kitty's Togs, that's what it's called. And my father came over on a boat from Ireland and got a job as a salesperson. That's how she met him. And so she worked for the owner, her father, and Terry, my father, worked for him too. And they all worked in this family business that grew. And then the brother got involved and the other two sisters. They all worked for the father. Her father was Lebanese, came over from Lebanon, and then my dad came over from Ireland. But it goes back to what you talked about earlier, that the, the ethnic population that made North America, that came over,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they were the ones that started all the businesses. Of
0: course. They had nothing to lose, nowhere to go but up.
1: Right. And that's what happened in my family, too. So everybody worked. So she started getting paid, and she would squirrel away 10%. She taught me to do that, too. She always believed that people buy a lot of crap they don't need. And she's right. There's, if you just look through a woman's closet or a man's, and look at all the crap they bought in clothing they don't wear... That's all wasted money. Yeah, but she,
0: that's what kept her family business in business. Yeah, but that she That exact crap. If you,
1: you know what happened after she died? The women in the family went into a cat fight over her clothes. She would save <laughs> oh, no. up and buy a $9,000 Chanel jacket kind of st-
0: like what you do today. Yeah, because... You're in your Tom Ford suits. How many of those suits do you own?
1: Look, I have 25 of these suits, and I look spectacular in them, Barbara. But they're the same. <laughs> oh every one of them is the same. I have a uniform. I learned it's much easier to get up and put on the same black tie, white shirt, black suit. Yeah, but you prot- don't care
0: about the rest of us who are so bored with the way you look. You know, like.
1: I just look at myself in the mirror, and I wink every morning. Hey, good looking.
0: <laughs> Kevin, when did you lose your hair?
1: I lost my hair when I was about 22.
0: Were you I, shocked?
1: I was amazed. I, I was amazed. <laughs> I I couldn't believe it was happening to me. And it was a big, it really affects a guy. And then today, I don't, I would never change my look. I I wouldn't want my hair back.
0: Oh, I don't believe you. No, I'd be happy. If there was a miracle growth serum, you would put it on that head. I don't think
1: so. My brand is that beautiful bald head.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I for one enjoy shining your head on the Shark Tank set all the time. (laughs) And you you really are such a good sport about it.
1: Barbara, it's the way I was meant to look. I don't give a shit, you know. I mean, I think there's all (laughs) kinds of things to try and keep your hair that don't work. I think it's clear now when you look at all around bald guys, Nothing works.
0: What was your first impression the first day you were on the Shark Tank set? What did you think about the show? Did you think it would go 10 years?
1: No. I thought this is crazy. But but you
0: had that great experience in Canada. It's similar show. Same kind of routine. Well, the
1: show actually started in England, where it's been on for 17 years. So we should take... Here's what I learned about uh, Shark Tank, called Dragon's Den in other countries. In Britain... Nobody watched it for three years. Then it went geometric. In Canada, nobody watched it for three years. And I remember
0: on the second year in Shark Tank, you were telling us next year's our year, everybody's gonna watch it, and I didn't believe you. And it it happened. It's exactly what happened.
1: Something about that show format gets into the viewer's mind and they start coming at it. And I think it needs to find its audience, but Shark Tank's been going into its second decade, Barbara. Nobody thought that would happen.
0: What was your impression about Damon John the first day on the set?
1: I said, Damon, it's great. When did you get out of prison?
0: Oh, no, you've used that joke so many times. (laughs) On a serious note, what was your first impression? I liked
1: him. I I liked the whole street smart thing, the whole FUBU, selling the stuff on the street. It was very
0: quiet. I remember that day. Didn't have a lot to say.
1: Yeah, but you know, the more his story came out, I realized this guy's a real entrepreneur. I mean, that's what I like about Shark Tank. Everybody has a different story. Everybody has a different path to success. Everybody was an operator. There's no BS. It's just everybody figured it out on their own, and it's all different. Mm -hmm. That's what I like the most.
0: Mutual respect. What was your impression of not Robert, who you had worked with? How many years were you working already with At least with Robert? five years. Before. What was your impression of Robert when you first met him in Canada?
1: I've heard the story about rat meat on the boat. Oh my, gosh. Over oh so my many god! Oh my god. I can't hear it one more time. Yeah, the
0: immigrant just, story.
1: Yeah, the immigrant story. I had a, I had a boat, a little rat meat and some rice, <laughs> and I was in. I mean I've heard My that. dad
0: the factory worker. The no, fa- <laughs> I like I please stop, stop, stop. Yeah. But did you think he was going to be a successful shark
1: once he came to America? Yeah, I I think there's something but each shark has some attribute that mm-hmm. makes them work, but it also works together. Yes, it and, does. And you don't know the alchemy of television as I've learned is an unknown and a very hard science to master. And that's why we're lucky to have Mark Burnett who didn't let the network tinker with it. I remember mm. in the first three years they were constantly wanting to make changes. And Burnett said, I have final cut. We're leaving everything the way it is because yes. it's going to work.
0: Well, not entirely true. He brought in Mark Cuban. He brought in Laura Grenier.
1: Oh no, but the set, for example, the format, how oh, many yes. women, all of these, you know, there were two women, three guys, all that stuff mm-hmm. was up for grabs in the first 3 years. They were thinking of putting a sixth shark and all that. And Mark said, We had no. a sixth
0: uh, shark on set one day. It was terrible. It was terrible. It, it was, was just, just chaos. The sink was it was, chaos. Chaos. It was, it was so, just But wasn't the point there.
1: is that he was the steward of that boat mm-hmm. and he kept it going until it got traction and now everybody and their dog wants to be a shark.
0: You know, the first day I met Mark Burnett on the show and I'm not making this up, he stood in those perfectly tailored blue Jeans that fit him meticulously, maybe he had a $500 shirt on, and he had a little neck like a scarf that was actually blowing in the wind, and there was no fan around. I'm not making that up. <laughs> I thought, who is that guy? And then I heard he's the big boss, he's Mark Burnett. But I thought he was at a central casting, he looked exactly like a movie director.
1: Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I, th- I think he has become historic in the sense that he's had so many perennial hits. So many shows that have lasted past seven years, which is a magic number in television. Most shows die between five and seven years. He's seemed to go on forever. I think he captures whatever is the magic about a show like Shark Tank and perpetuates it.
0: And he gets it fast.
1: And he gets it fast. And we've just, you know, the, the, the show is part of America now. People know what Shark Tank is, and many businesses have been built on it. We've had great successes catastrophic failures whatever but it's a, it's a slice of life
0: you know one thing i remember so well about mark i don't know if you were impressed with him in the same manner the night we went to his big beautiful house in la and had a great dinner what was that third fourth season somewhere fourth somewhere season, fourth I remember. season yeah. yeah and remember all of our big bosses were saying what we should do differently how we should improve this what we should do that and then he was very quiet through the whole night and he says i have one piece of advice be yourself And I remember my shoulders came down. I was making notes on what I should be getting all this advice from everybody. And he said, be yourself. And I think that was the first time I relaxed in the seat and I started doing a good job.
1: Well, I've learned television is a medium where people smell bullshit. Right away. They smell bullshit. They know when you Never mind
0: TV. People in general smell bullshit.
1: Yeah, I mean... They're smarter than you think. If you're lying, it comes across. Well, why
0: do you think you've been able to fool them all these years? Because
1: there's a reason i missed a Wonderful, Barbara. It's true. (laughs) I am the only shark that tells the truth. You know, there's a story I like to tell, which is factual. When I was young... I think I was five years old. I was flying a kite, and I got struck by lightning. This is
0: not true, Kevin. Well,
1: just hear it out.
0: No, this is a joke. The
1: DNA was changed in my brain, and I can only speak the truth.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm sure that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay,
1: that's bullshit, but it's a great story, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's a great story.
1: Thank you very much.
0: But why do you think the show works so well?
1: Well, I think... The essence of it. I think the uh, different personalities and... You you have to admit that after all these years, we don't see those cameras anymore. I certainly don't see them. I'm just in the moment listening and, you know, thinking about what's going on. And if I see a deal I like, I like to compete for it. Because no kidding. We, you know, I have made some money on these deals. Some of them work.
0: You remember the first couple of years you told me as a new shark, you'll never make any money on these well, deals. Well, we
1: didn't because they were crappy deals. And then after year three, when they got rid of, you know, some of the structure that was holding us back... Demanding equity and all the rest of that. Then we started getting great products. Yeah, I think so since then, everybody's had their hit, you know? I mean, Plated for Me and that other one, Groove Book, those turned into big cash.
0: But don't you think Lori Greniers had more hits than all of us on the show? Single products that she's made millions of dollars
1: on. I'm not sure. What I would say is- I don't know.
0: I'm keeping a score sheet. I don't like what I, I see, but I'm keeping
1: it. I look at it saying who made the most money
0: yeah, there's no way to tell. I'll tell you one thing for Why? sure. Every guy on the set lies about how much money they're making. Well, the at only least I can tell you this. Women.
1: I had the biggest exit. Nobody's sold a company for $300 million except me.
0: Yeah, I want to see a balance sheet and see how much of those millions you got. I got enough.
1: It was pretty good,
0: actually. That, I still that paid... say Lori Grenier's making more money than you, bar none. Absolutely. No, I,
1: can't, I, I won't admit that because I don't know. I'm like you. I'd show me the numbers. Yeah. Oh, I not we'll never see There the is numbers. no tally. There's no way to know. I mean, sure
0: and, there is. If we all shared our honest numbers, we'd know what You know we were that's doing. never
1: going to happen, Barbara. Never
0: happen. That's, never happen. Nobody's going to tell the truth. That's for sure. <laughs> what was your impression the day Mark Cuban walked in?
1: I thought Mark was great too. I mean, you know, he from was from the get-go. Yeah, he was terrific and I, you know, the thing is, on your own, any one shark does not carry that show by themselves. You got to have the interaction. You have to have the ebb and flow, and that's what works.
0: I agree, but I have to also say, I'm not saying this ingenuously, I think you're the king shark that holds it all together.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You but need a I'm bad having, guy. But I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm sitting there. Just It's just happening. It, it happens the way it happens. And if you would asked me, and we started this conversation this way, would we still be doing this a decade later? I'd say not a chance in hell.
0: But do you remember how engaged the camera guys were the first day on the set? Yeah, that was interesting when they said
1: at the end of the day, wow, we were watching TV. They never took their eyes off us. That's what one said. I I rarely watch TV. Mm -hmm. And here I am watching TV wondering if the guy's going to get a deal or not. That was probably a good sign.
0: Oh, it was a very good sign. Because they've seen it all and they're usually bored. No, you're right about that. But not on the set. Yeah. How hard are those long days for you? How many hours do we work on that set?
1: Well, they are hard. and. In the afternoon, But do
0: they seem hard to you? You, I'm just... The trouble
1: is, if I see a deal that has no merit, mm. and it has no value, and I know I'm not going to invest in it, I just want to take it behind the barn and shoot it.
0: Oh, that's a lot of deals.
1: I know. But then again, we're making television. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the process of getting to the bottom and not doing the deal and finding out why is actually why the show works. Mm -hmm. What I find so interesting about Shark Tank, above anything else, is... How we peel that onion, how there's enough experience on those chairs that no matter what is being presented to us, somebody can smell the bullshit when it's there. And when somebody is lying to you or they're misrepresent I should say, they're representing their possibilities in the brightest possible light.
0: Of course. Cold <laughs> exaggeration.
1: <laughs> and, and so often that manifests itself in crazy valuations, but often... We find out things that um, they were perhaps not willing to tell us.
0: And if we don't find it out then, we find it out in the due diligence. After yeah, but fact. I
1: like it when we find it out when we're making it's the show. It's much more exciting. Because it is more exciting. And, when, and how you're peeling that onion and then boom. Oh, yes, I have $900,000 worth of debt and I have no sales. You know, that happens mm-hmm. and that just takes the air right out of the room.
0: Back to Mark just for a second. I yeah. remember the day he sat on the set, he sat in his chair and he owned it and I thought, Oh, he's not a guest shark. This guy's not leaving. Remember he came as a guest shark.
1: I forgot that actually, Absolutely. but you're right. I forgot it's so long ago I don't he remember. Owned that seat. But- but that was in year four,
0: wasn't it? Yep, that was year four. And yeah. I remember he was spending money as though he had millions to spend. And then I found out he had billions. <laughs> I didn't feel sorry for him anymore. I thought, well, that was a sucker. He's buying everything It doesn't sight.
1: matter how much money you have, the probability of success doesn't change. You still have to make the right decisions. And all of us have had dogs. You know oh, we've
0: that. had enough dogs, no yeah. doubt about it. But so you only I, need I don't a, care really who you winners. are.
1: You can be so optimistic. You write that half a million dollar check and then boom, laka, laka, laka.
0: We'll continue with my conversation with Mr. Wonderful in just a minute. You're listening to Business Unusual, presented by On Deck Business Loans. Here's a company all business owners should know about, On Deck Business Loans. On Deck delivers financing for small business owners in as little as 24 hours, with term loans up to $500,000 and lines of credit up to $100,000. Their average loan is about $57,000. OnDeck products are always tailored to your specific business need with lots of loan and payback options. This simple process saves you time, and because they have less strict requirements than the banks, they approve many different businesses and do it faster than traditional lenders. I've known the gang at OnDeck for years now, and I can tell you they're the real deal. OnDeck has lent over $10 billion to more than 80,000 small business owners. Thousands of them have reviewed OnDeck, giving them a 9.8 out of 10 rating on Trustpilot and an A-plus grade with the Better Business Bureau. So make your way over to ondeck.com slash Barbara for a free consultation with a small business loan specialist to find out exactly which loan best suits your company. ondeck.com slash Barbara. And now back to my chat with Kevin. Do you love your entrepreneurs as much now as you did in year one, two, and three?
1: I've learned a lot about what the telltale signs are of success in the first year. I can really now know with all of these, this year alone, I've got eight now, eight that I've already... And
0: how many do you think are going to be successful?
1: I've only had them for a few months, right? About Mm -hmm. six months. And I think I have two that are going to be monsters mm-hmm. big ones monsters in a good way in a good way yeah mm-hmm. in a good way because one of the tell? reasons is the stuff is selling you know what i mean it, mm-hmm. it took off on the show and then it kept going
0: yeah but a lot takes off on the show and six months later they yeah, hit that first these, obstacle these have and nothing been, works out
1: that you know it's been since june barbara and they continue to grow so so things are happening there that i like and also they're stick to it of people and they're
0: that's the key. Uh,
1: you know, the ones for me, The one it's all the women. All my women deals are the ones that are making me money.
0: Really? Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I can't say that. I'd say most of my deals are men for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. I've got a, a lot of, lot of
1: successful women in my mix. You remember that one honey fund that does wedding registry? I
0: remember it very well. He promote thing. it constantly.
1: You know, she is now running the back office for Target. I believe it. Like that's a lot. She's a very capable young yeah, woman. Yeah, she's a beast. She's an absolute beast. And so that business originates about six hundred million dollars. I'm not
0: going to let you sit here and promote a business that I don't. Well, you know own, what I, I want like to promote,
1: and I just thought of this. No,
0: we've run out of time. No, I'm my sorry.
1: podcast. You got to give me a, a of shout. Of course, out. let's hear. It's let's called hear the Ask Mr. Wonderful.
0: What a great name.
1: And it's going to kick your hiney.
0: I don't know. We're going to put a bet today. We're well, you in know race. You know what? You got to
1: come on my podcast. We're in a race for listeners. No, no. Listen, I'm just starting out. I'm just trying to scratch a living in this. I'm not
0: going to help. Be on your podcast. But you're coming on my podcast, I'm not? not coming on your yes, podcast. Yes, you are. I'm not coming. I'm not home.
1: Everybody, no, Barbara no, Cochran will be I on. Ask Mr. On, Wonderful. I am
0: not coming on your podcast. and I will run circles around and, you with mine.
1: And I'll let you ask me a question. That's <laughs> okay, the special magic.
0: But how do you know an entrepreneur is going to be a loser? I shouldn't say a loser. I don't mean to label it that way, but you're going to lose your money.
1: They don't respect the money. You, you write them the check. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, recently I've been putting big ones out, 400,000, 450. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's gone three months later.
0: On things you don't want them to spend it on? Well,
1: you know, they claim it's the right expenditure. But in the end, all I care about is, how am I going to get it back?
0: Yeah, but why would you just let them go along and, and blow that amount of money? I would Well, you know, in control. the case where
1: I wrote the 450 I, I started with 100 and they got me that back. Then I gave them 250 they got me that back. Mm. And the business is growing, so maybe I shouldn't be that concerned. Then I gave them 450 Wow. And I'm funding. and It's cash flowing. Like, they're actually... It's yeah, working. but that's what
0: credit lines are for. Why do you have to fund it? Well, them? it
1: is a form of credit line because what I did on this last big round was I took more equity and I put it out. I said, if it's not paid back in, in six months, it turns into debt. So it becomes That's way
0: nice, it, but you have to be able to collect on debt. With a yeah, but the business. company has
1: sales and it's got assets. So, uh, you, know, mm. I, you know, you know my guy, Alex. He structures these things. He
0: structures a deal. Yeah, yeah. he's a smart guy. He's a
1: smart guy. So he, put, he he brought this deal to me. He said, I want you to write a check for 450 These guys said, Alex, that's crazy. Why? He said, well, look everything's working. They're, they're selling a lot of stuff and they're good guys and they need 450. I said, okay, do it.
0: If my mic had come to me with that proposal, I would have said, great idea. Get a credit line. I don't want to be that exposed.
1: Well, you, you know, every deal's different, but in this case, I'm feeling, you know, who knows? But at the end of the day, the ones that are successful are myopically focused on their businesses. They seem to live and breathe their business. What I love getting, Barbara, I don't know if you have this for your deals, I like a monthly letter, no more than three paragraphs. That's all I want from my entrepreneurs.
0: I like a conversation. I think you learn more in a quick conversation. But than you learn if any the letter communication.
1: gives me problems, if I then I call them up, say, "Let's talk for a few minutes." Ah, makes sense. So what I like is I like on my desk at the end of each month my synopsis, and I spend a morning reading. I only want three paragraphs. Do not send me more than three paragraphs. I'm not going to read it. But tell me what happened in the last month, and do this as for your own staff. What was good, what was bad? It's Mm -hmm. a very short period of time.
0: But they don't present you with what their problems are.
1: No, they do. It's, I don't want good news. I already know the good news. Just give me the problems.
0: That's the meat, of course. You know, it's just
1: like, I need help doing this. I need help doing that. And sometimes I'll find a situation where I can fix that by just making a phone call. Mm -hmm. And I will. One of my companies needs to... um, Connect with the CEO of a toy company. I can make that happen in two minutes.
0: Oh, you've been talking about your toy company making it happen forever for and 10 years, And, you know, years, I'm very actually. good at
1: it. But I'm I also sure. did. I also got one of my companies needed to get into, uh, Benji Lock needed Walmart. We made that happen.
0: Benji Lock, what an oddball deal that was. My Wasn't that God. crazy? The sh- most shocking day on on TV for my.
1: And you know how much money I'm going to make on that one? It's going to
0: be good. I don't want to hear it because he chose you over me and I didn't like it one bit. Hey, we all wanted him. He chose you. I still think he's out of his mind. Mm -mm. Let's switch subjects. What was your first house like?
1: I bought my first house for $110,000 when I wasn't even making 10000 a year.
0: Crazy. Why would you do that? It
1: and I was crazy. And I remember I had postpartum depression. <laughs> I, you know, I gave birth to a house and I was depressed. <laughs> uh, after I bought it, I thought, what have I done to myself? But it ended up being one of the best investments. You were investments. single at the time? I was. Yeah. And what I did is I, I rented all the rooms to my friends. How did you
0: come up with the money?
1: I, I basically borrowed um, $10,000 for the the bank thought it was equity, but I actually had a loan for the equity part too. You don't have I had to tell no them money, that. yeah. So I bought the place, and I immediately rented out every single room, including the basement. You
0: hustler, you!
1: Yeah, and it's all my friends, and I made them pay their rent every week. This was I it no in money. college. It was just out of college, right out of college, and then what happened was real estate prices started going up, mm-hmm. and then I realized, oh, this works. My house is worth twenty percent more after a year. And I've been paying off the mortgage and I raised them. Well, you had them paying off the mortgage. Well, I did. And I raised their rent. And How um, to
0: make friends. That's why you don't have friends today. That no, kind no, of a gimmick. Th- yeah.
1: And I used to say, look, the benefit of living here is every Saturday night, we're going to have an investment dating party <laughs> where we just invite a whole bunch of girls over and
0: they all came. <laughs> what a came hot house. <laughs> and it was a
1: great party. We had so much fun. It was fantastic. And
0: you eventually sold that house at a profit truthfully. Or you tore it down right I to the I sold foundation. that
1: house seven years later for $1.2 million, And I wow. bought it for 110000 I don't
0: believe you. I'm going to d- check that deal.
1: No, I, it's true. It's a and true story. And where was this house, this mystery it, it house? Was in, it was in a district called Little Italy in Toronto, Canada. And it was a very ethnic area, and I was very comfortable living there because I'd grown up in the Mediterranean. And then all of a sudden it became very chic. It became the hot place to live because it was downtown
0: kind of like our downtown same yeah as and it got
1: really hot And then all these little restaurants started opening and then all these boutiques and then a rock star from um his name was Bruce Coburn who was a very famous folk singer moved in next door and the the street was, was called Shaw Street it became the hottest street in the hottest area and some guy came to me and said, I'll buy your house for a million dollars. I said, never, not because I was right across from a park. Mm. I had a park across from me that used to be where drug dealers operated, but by the time it became sheep baby
0: carriages. It was yeah. baby
1: carriages, right. I said, for a million two and I'll do the deal and that's what happened.
0: What'd you do with that money?
1: I started my first company with it called Special Event Television really yeah
0: wow and you owe it all to real estate one house well support. that's a
1: good point it's true my biggest first and yet you're
0: always on the road saying don't buy rent no rent, but you rent. know something
1: barbara this the second company especially in television we three of us started it and we sold that three years later that owned bobby orr and the hockey legends it owned Don cherry's grapevine they were television formats <laughs> i didn't even know what television format was and i owned it because we we created this show And we were shooting it in Boston. I was doing all the intermission work for um, the hockey broadcasts every Saturday. I would shoot the shows for the intermissions on Saturdays. I can't
0: picture you doing
1: that. It was crazy. With hair on your
0: head, no doubt.
1: I had hair on my head. But I was going all over the place. I was a cameraman, a soundman, an editor. I still edit stuff today, but now you don't do it on a Steam anymore. You do it electronically. But that company was purchased for the rights of the formats. And then I started the software company that eventually became the learning company. What
0: did you sell that first company for? Nine million. Really? But yeah. that company, again, you started with the million dollars you made on that million house. Million, yeah. Then why are you going around telling the whole world, don't buy rent, rent, rent? No, I hear no, you no. say it, it just, all the time. But
1: the trouble is, if you can't afford the debt, you really, couldn't afford the debt. You found I didn't, some other but suckers You know, to Barbara, pay for when it. people blow their brains out of real estate, and you know this, it's because they over lever. They own too much real estate. I only owned the house I was living in, and I was running a little business out of the basement, and I was renting all the rooms to all my friends. I mean, that place was like a I don't know, some sort of college dorm for That's a while. That's exactly what it was. It was a like 10 joint. people in yeah. there, you know? But everybody's paying me 250 bucks a week, and I was living off that. That's how I was eating. If somebody didn't pay me rent, i starve. I lost weight. <laughs> so it, I was really kind of a slum landlord, sort of like you, if you think about it.
0: Oh, yeah, just like me. I'm hardly a slum <laughs> landlord. I spoil my tenants. They're like my children.
1: How many tenants do you have now?
0: Probably uh, maybe 65, 70. That's crazy. You know I just them bought all. a new building. You now I have all? 30 more. Of course I don't know them all. I know their checks.
1: <laughs> but you know that you have managers manage the buildings, right? I
0: have uh, very good managers, but I take care of my buildings. You take care of your tenants, they take care of you back. That's what I've learned. Like all that the rest of life. That makes sense to
1: me. So you make sure they have a good entrance. You paint the doll places, it up, all make that Make it stuff. look
0: good. You treat them well. You answer their complaints. Sometimes they're they're renting like to... these places. Of or, course. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what's great about tenants renting a place? You could keep remortgaging your property again and again and again, taking cash out. And then as the rents go up, the tenants can afford the rent. And so you still making tons so of money you as get you get capital
1: returns and you get income
0: oh it's not just the income you can remortgage you get chunks of cash out without what could paying go taxes. wrong
1: what could go wrong in real estate in New you New could have
0: a recession but as long as you don't overcharge on your rents i always factor that in that prices could drop 20 percent and it's still a good building and still can pay the mortgage. Like you said earlier, don't over-leverage.
1: So if you you assume when you model it, you pencil it out, that the 20% decline could happen over a three or four year period. Yeah, you
0: take a lesser mortgage than the building could actually support. So you
1: put more equity into the building. You
0: do, yeah, eventually, or you leave more equity in without mortgaging out quite as much.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah. so. Yeah. Have that, you
0: bought real estate for investment over time? I have,
1: and I, I actually have about 35% of my portfolio in real estate, but they're all income-producing properties like cold storage facilities.
0: So so it's things you invest in, not things that you manage, right?
1: Yes. Well, those facilities, I actually did some construction loan financing. I built some and I bought some, and I built a portfolio and then a REIT. I've, again, three partners. You never
0: talk about this. I wish you promote. Yeah, no, of I, I did it,
1: and and I learned something very important on the very first construction financing because we were f- new into that industry. Mm-hmm. The bank made us sign personal guarantees for the first building to prove we could do it and stabilize it within 36 months. That was the deal. They'd lend the money to build it. This was a cold storage facility. And then after it was stabilized, they would refinance it. But Mm -hmm. during the unstabilized period, they wanted personal guarantees. Now, I had never given a personal guarantee before. Hard to do it without it. And that was 2007. Then 2008 came. Mm. Whoa! That scared the living. You know what? Out because of.
0: you did give a personal guarantee. We did. Very and, hard to get funding without it. Truly, but,
1: but it taught me an important lesson because you should give personal guarantees as if you can afford to lose them. Mm. That is the only way. That to,
0: wouldn't cover most of us.
1: I know, but it really was a scary thing because there was a, a couple of weeks in that period where, you know, we were really soberly looking at it, saying maybe we got to take the hit on this mm. because we're not sure what the economy is going to do. But we stuck it out. We continued to pay. It made the stabilization an extra 12 months, so we had to wait four years. Mm. But we sold that building for a massive profit coming Mm. out of the recession. Good for you. Yeah, it was amazing. But I learned my lesson about leverage in real estate. But what I like about real estate that I own now, they're all income-producing properties. I did a hotel in Boston, which was a crazy experience, a boutique hotel. Pros and cons to that, the real estate building value was worth more than the hotel was.
0: Of course, was. which is true of most boutique hotels. Yeah, and yeah. so
1: that's what saved our hiney, was yeah. not We were losing money operating the hotel, and of then somebody course. just came out and said, I want that facility. Of course, you are saved
0: by the bell, so s- to speak.
1: Saved by the, because we were losing a
0: lot. Yeah, here's an interesting story that I, that uh, just happened to me last week. I'm buying a 35-unit building. Yeah, go for going for the finance and giving the true rent roll, exactly what it is. the The, the building could easily support a mortgage of up to 80. percent And the bankers would not believe me that that was the real rent roll. They asked me how much I had padded it. I'm like, that's the real rent roll. You mean it was how that much did you pad it? They wanted it padded. They wanted to show a higher debt to value ratio and they would not take it on face value. I went to three different banks. Everybody wanted the numbers padded. I'd never experienced so that before. So basically they wanted,
1: they wanted you to lie to them?
0: Basically, That's yes. Crazy. I'm like, this is how it goes. It's called hard money lenders. It's kind of like legal uh, mafia. When you were just
1: trying to negotiate a mortgage, right? All I
0: wanted was a regular mortgage based right. on real numbers and I had a hard time being truthful. I finally found a lender that wanted the truth but everyone I went to wanted to hear a story.
1: And what what can you get mortgages for now? Six percent?
0: No, not on a not an investment property. It's more like seven, seven and a half, seven and three eighths. Wow. Yeah. So that's not
1: cheap anymore.
0: Not cheap, but if you have a good property, it makes sense. Yeah. But I was just surprised at the lack of honesty in the whole process. I thought I had seen and heard it all. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. It took me a while to catch on as to what they were looking for. These so are respectable you, banks. I was Is there any shocked.
1: restrictions on how fast you can pay that mortgage back?
0: Uh, no. Mm-mm. I so mean, there's, there's no pre pen- penalties, of course, but you don't want to rush to pay a mortgage back quickly.
1: Yeah, no, I understand. Unless you, you sell. Yeah, you know, if you want to. Unless you sell. Then it comes due. Okay, what's your first
0: car, Kevin? My first Very ca- first car that you paid for.
1: Uh, was a 2002 red BMW used that I ran for almost a decade by I just kept good. And I remember ten that years.
0: I can't picture yeah. you hanging on to a woman for ten years, it was, a, nine, years, no, it was a, 19, a car. It was a nineteen
1: sixty nine two thousand and two red BMW. And when I brought it to a dealer once, he said, "Why is this car not given a chance to go and die in peace? Why do you make it stay alive like because this?" he loved it, I'm sure. And I said, "I love this car. Can you put a new transmission?" And he said, "You've already put two transmissions through this thing." I said, "Can you do a third? He said, "No." This is ridiculous. Why don't you buy a new car from us? I said, no, I <laughs> want to keep this car. So I basically replaced it all. It was a wonderful car.
0: What kind of car do you drive now? You know, the, you know, the
1: funny thing, Barbara, I don't drive cars anymore. Why? I'm in the wine business. I'm always drinking
0: wine. <laughs> and so I drink wine at I've lunch. I've seen you on many sober nights. You didn't drink wine with me today, and I offered you some.
1: No, I know. Not today. But you know, I know probably tonight I'll have a glass because I'm always trying different wines. I have a 10-year-old Porsche 911. I gave up my lease on my beautiful brand new diesel Mercedes SUV, because it had a thousand miles on it after a year. Wow. I only drove it a thousand miles. The fun
0: part was buying it, I think.
1: It was dumb yeah. to even have that, because I Uber everything and I have drivers and stuff.
0: Well, if you, it was a new car, you lost money on selling it, that's I did. For sure. No, I did,
1: le- I leased it and they said you've lost money for sure because you never used it. And I said, well, why would I want to lose money a second term? Because I had it for 24 months. You know, when you drink, you should never drive. I mean, I mean that seriously, so I never do. Mm-hmm. And I do drink wine. I'm drinking wine all the time.
0: All right. I'm going to switch to your wife, Linda. Yes. Linda is so rock solid. I would have never pictured that she would marry someone like you. <laughs> Honestly, she could have done so much better than you. What is it about Linda that falls in love with a guy named kevin well you have I don't re- get it
1: you have to remember that when i married linda i had nothing we couldn't even afford uh anything except pizza at our wedding we had and no even life.
0: more it begs the question why would she marry you
1: well because she saw potential barbara there's no question about it i mean you know who knows why you fall in love anyways and what your expectations are for what your life's going to be like it's serendipitous but the one thing i know about her versus all the other women that could have been in my life or you know might have been in my life etc. might have
0: been the mother of your kids
1: right is that, A, she's a great mother, so she raised great children when I wasn't around to be a father because I was running all around the world with the learning company for six years. That was really time-consuming. And secondly, she knew me when I had no money, so I know that she's interested in other things besides my money, looking at it that way. Well said, you can trust that. I I can, and she's not, you know, it's a funny thing. She's she's, uh, very much like my mother. She likes to buy very nice things, but not a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So the stuff she ends up investing in uh, she just redid our Boston place, and it's beautiful. It's my favorite home now, and every piece is one of a kind and beautiful, and I was really moaning about what I was paying for when I paid for it, but now I look at it and say, wow, this is gorgeous, Yeah. and so there is a lot to be said for being selective on what you acquire in your life, and don't buy a lot of crap.
0: It's even more to be said for being selective on who you marry in your life.
1: Yeah, so that's worked out, I and mean, we've had our ups and downs. It's a 30-year marriage. Everybody's had. Everybody that's been married that long knows And we were separated for a while, too. But we came back together again. We have a family. And I'm very appreciative of all the crap she has to put up with even now.
0: What do you think is the number one thing in choosing a spouse?
1: I actually think, when I look at all my friends, of which 50% have gone through divorce, is understanding that you're both in alignment on the way you see yourselves in life. I mean, if you have... 50% of marriages fail not because of infidelity, because of financial stress. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. People outspend their partner or they don't treat their partner fairly in the financial sense.
0: You really believe that? For example, For example, I don't get that.
1: Yeah. Well, think about it this way. If you define your life around only money, you're going to fail for sure. But you
0: define everything about money. But I'm
1: saying when you're talking about a family... If you don't do financial due diligence on your partner and she ends up or he ends up being somebody that's completely inconsistent with you on your financial objectives, mm. you're going to fail in five So,
0: for example, if you married someone who's a wild spender and you really want to build a nest egg and wait till later, right. that's a problem. Because, you know, today
1: I spend a lot of time in this financial literacy initiative I have where I teach in colleges. They're 21 to 25-year-olds and they're just going through the beginning of – dealing with debt from college, debt, and then getting married and being engaged and having children, you can't believe how much of the is around money. Like, mm-hmm. it's just... Yeah, yeah, they talk about relationships for about two minutes, and then everything else is... What about my debt? How do I get a house? How much are these kids going to cost me? It's all money stress. Mm -hmm. And these are kids that have just finished college and, you know, are struggling sometimes to get jobs. And even when they have jobs, they realize it's not enough.
0: So how do you suggest that a young person today vet that out on someone they think would make a great life partner? If
1: you're in a third date with somebody, that means both sides are interested. If you're going through the third date, it's time to start talking about money, about what you're you think the future looks like and I'll tell you why that works when I tell men this story if you're bringing that topic up with a woman, she knows that you're really interested. Of course. And if she's interested in you, that's self-reinforcement. That's going to tighten up the relationship in many ways, that you're actually thinking about what you're going to look like together and in, in, in fighting the world together and a nest egg together and building a family. That's powerful romantic stuff, even though it's it doesn't money. doesn't sound romantic. It is romantic. I've talked to m- many women that said, what really got me about this guy is how serious he was after the third date about picturing us together in, in, mm, in a union it mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's very powerful when that because you're only on your third date and when all of a sudden you're putting those kind of vibes out magic can happen if it's reciprocal most people do not go out a third time barber if they're not interested mm. they'll just find a reason to wash their hair that night instead
0: absolutely true you know i recently uh, met a doctor and he said he thought the most important question a man should ask about his future wife is would i hire her to watch my children I thought, that's ridiculous. The more I thought about it, I thought, that's a great line, because a lot of men would say no.
1: (laughs) It is pretty interesting you bring that up, because it's hard to determine whether someone will be a good mother before they become one. Mm -hmm. But that ends up being another big part of stress. I mean, I can't imagine being home with two toddlers what that's like I mean that then itself is running a business it's just mm-hmm. it's a nightmare in some ways but it's your family in another and so you got to think of it that way you got to be the provider you got to pay for that stuff that's where the stress comes in is when you've got two kids or three kids and you don't have enough money to afford them
0: mm.
1: and you're trying to deal with the mortgage and the student debt and all that stuff I meet these but kids that's now. part
0: of almost every marriage yeah
1: I know but you sh- it puts a lot of stress they stop going out they haven't been on a date in two years mm. they can't afford it they, no they're fun. never separated from their kids it's it's very stressful mm-hmm. and i understand it and i you know i try and give my guidance to it but you have to find a little time to be away from those kids you got to hire a babysitter once a week otherwise you just drive yourself nuts and it's you're still being a good parent doing that i got to be cognizant of my time here one pardon. last question okay. the
0: last question is what do you think of me
1: well that's enough
0: thank you very much for coming today <laughs> <laughs>
1: well i've been working with you for um, Ten years, Barbara, and I don't think that you're going to change. So, I don't think so either. No, I don't think so.
0: I don't think you will either. No, I think that's true. We're but not I, meant for I one certainly
1: another. I am an, interested in how you assess uh, situations, including business opportunities, like Shark Tank, because you do not do it the way I do. That's Not sure. at all.
0: We couldn't be more diametrically opposed.
1: You're absolutely right. And so when I tell people this joke that I want you to hear, and I want your, your listening <laughs> you're to You're not going to do
0: it again. Yes, I have to because oh, God. it's Here so go. great.
1: <laughs> People always ask me, you know, it happens all the time. What's Barbara like? I could be in an audience with 9,000 people in the room, and they're out with those microphones in the middle of the audience. I can't even see them. What's Barbara like? And I always say, I'll tell you about Barbara. The only reason she gets around in New York anymore is I bought her a new broom. (laughs) It works oh every time. The oh whole God. crowd goes nuts and they just love it. Oh, we're going
0: to end it here. Thank you, Mr. Wonderful, for coming. <laughs> and right here chop.
1: Shop. <laughs> oh, that was great. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran, presented by On Deck Business Loans. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success on Business Unusual. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio podcast network. Be sure to follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.